This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. Folks really have to like get involved on the project by project discussions and, and debates in order to make sure that we as government are living up to the ideals that the policies like Complete Streets and Vision Zero um, and equitable transit access, like that we're living up to those because you could you can build a really great Complete Streets project or you can build a pretty mediocre one and folks need to engage on that project level. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the third and final 2021 Friday Forum series from Downtown On The Go. Uh, Downtown on the Go is the advocate and resource for all things transportation in Tacoma. My name is Laura Swanzerich. Um, I'm the Commute Trip Production and Advocacy Coordinator at Downtown on the Go. And I want to really sincerely thank you all for being here with us today, um, taking time out of your afternoon for this conversation. I want to let you know that um, automated closed captioning is available on Zoom. Um, Just click the closed caption button on the bottom of your screen to turn on the captioning. The theme for our 2021 forum series is racism in transportation policy. Um, And today we will be discussing how policies and projects go from ideas to implementation and how to successfully advocate for change. Um, I want to thank our media sponsor, Channel 253, for their support um, and let you know that the podcast Crossing Division with Evelyn Lopez will continue this conversation on an upcoming episode. This forum is being recorded by TV Tacoma and will be broadcast several times beginning tonight. I want to also thank our event sponsor, GeoEngineers, um, and I want to uh, take a moment to give Brett Larrabee from GeoEngineers a moment to speak. Go ahead, Brett. Thanks, Laura. Um, Yeah, welcome, everybody. I just want to say thank you to all the panelists for coming today and everybody who's in attendance. GeoEngineers is really proud to Um, be a part of this conversation series and be a longtime partner of downtown on the go um, and be a member of the downtown community. So really excited for this event and um, have been about all the all the talk events so far. So um, I also want to encourage everybody who's in attendance, if you are able to make a donation to downtown on the go through our website at downtownonthego.com. I'll put the link in the chat, but uh, these events are put on in part by support from the community, and, and we really appreciate if, uh, if you have the means to, to help support us and keep these events going. Um, so thanks again, Laura, and really excited to be here and, and hear what everybody has to say. Great. Thank you, Brett. Um, there will be a Q&A section at the end of the forum today, and you can submit your questions at any time during the conversation um, using the Q&A function on Zoom. And I want to introduce our amazing moderator, Tanisha Jumper. Um, Tanisha is the Media and Communications Director for the City of Tacoma. And Tanisha, all yours. Good afternoon. So glad to be with you guys for our final uh, um, forum of the year. Uh, They go so fast. It feels like we start them and I'm all excited. And then before I even get good into my groove, they're done. So um, I am happy to have an amazing panel with me today. Um, we've got um, Councilmember Derek Young, we've got um, 
Andrew Austin, Council Member Blocker, who I get to see on a very regular basis. And finally get to hear from Laura. She's not just gonna be behind the scenes today, she's gonna join me on the panel. So super excited about that and looking forward to um, getting into this conversation. So um, today we're talking about breaking the urban bubble and just how do policies and projects actually get started, implemented, and advocated for. And um, we've got four great people to talk with us about that. And so we're gonna kick right into that. Um, so I'm gonna ask um, each of our panelists just to kind of um, tell us your role in policy development or project development. And, um, you know, maybe a, a quick something interesting about you that for our panel before we get started. So I'm gonna start with you, Councilmember Young. Uh, thank you. Uh, Pleasure to be here. And uh, my name again is Derek Young. I am uh, the Pierce County Council Chair um, newly this year. And uh, I have been in local government now for 21 years. I started, uh, I was first elected in 1997 to the Gig Harbor City Council, or as I like to refer to it uh, to the my Tacoma friends, the North North End. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, it, so I've been in, uh, I was 16 years a member of the Gig Harbor Council. And then uh, this is my sixth year on the, uh, or I guess my into my seventh year on the Pierce County Council. So I'll be terming off here um, next year. And I guess something interesting about me is that, I guess since we're doing a transit thing, I should just say, I, I am now a, a, a transit only um, uh, transportation uh, guy. So uh, I have started out as an experiment to see how um, I can, you know, instead of going to choices, uh, making sure that I was relying on transit like so many of my constituents and uh, just became a thing. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, Andrew, how about you? Sure. My name is Andrew Austin. Uh, I am the South Corridor Government and Community Relations Manager for Sound Transit. So I work on a whole all of the projects we work on in South King uh, and Pierce County. So in my current role, I do a lot of in, internal taking the internal stuff and translating it out into the um, communities and, and with elected officials, and then take it the other way too, which is always fun. Um, and prior to that, I worked in transportation and transit advocacy for a long time, uh, mostly at Transportation Choices, a statewide organization. Um, also did some transit work in DC and also did government affairs and Metro parks. Um, and I guess a, a, inter a interesting tidbit about me is I think um, I'm, uh, I really miss riding public transit every day. Uh, I feel like I'm not, I'm not doing it because it feels frivolous uh, this time uh, in COVID. So I can't wait to get me and my kids back on the bus and the train. Um, but I have been biking around town a lot. So that's been, that's been fun. I'm glad the weather's getting nicer for that. That's awesome. When I first uh, moved here, Christina Walker was like, you haven't been on our buses yet. Meet me at this street at this time. And so she uh, she she got me on the bus for the first time. So um, definitely, uh, definitely a great, great uh, system we have in the city that not enough people use. But um, Councilmember Blocker, my good friend that I get to spend every Tuesday with. How mm -hmm. are you? How you doing, Tanisha? It's great to be here. Again, this is Keith Blocker. Um, currently serve, have the pleasure of serving as the deputy mayor of the city of Tacoma for my second year. Um, I was originally elected in 2015 to council district number three and reelected in 2019. Um, 
just happy to be here. Looking forward to this great conversation. Great. And last but not least, Laura, the panelist, not the lady behind the scenes making the magic happen. Wait, do I get to say the, the interesting thing about Keith since he didn't? Sure. There's an interesting thing. I I was going to say, man, you was elected to Gig Harbor City Council at 12. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) I was doing the math too, and I was like, don't do that. (laughs) I was was a baby. (laughs) Straight out of high school. I love it. Early civic engagement. (laughs) So, Laura, how about you? Yeah, so my name is Laura Swanzerich. I'm uh, the advocacy coordinator at Downtown on the Go. Um, our, kind of our role in uh, policy and project development is, is from that advocate side, um, which you may have picked up from the name um, and how many times I say the word advocacy um, in any given sentence. But um, we, we do things like we host events like these to uh, lift up conversations about important uh, transportation related and adjacent topics. Um, we track a lot of policy, both at the local level and the state level. Um, and we do speak up trainings to try to um, encourage folks to feel comfortable and competent to um, be able to um, advocate for what they believe in and what they're passionate about um, at our, you know, to our local le- elected officials like we have here today. Um, I started riding the bus when I was about 13 and I would just take the bus into Seattle and hop on buses back when there was the free ride zone. So I would just got on a bus and never really stopped. Um, the only time I haven't been a bus rider was when I lived in the woods out on the key peninsula. So I was very excited, um, when I came to Tacoma a couple of years ago to be able to get back on buses and to be able to talk to people about how much I love riding the bus. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for reminding me about the freeze zone. I, that was right before I left um, to go to college. Like that, that was available. And I used to be, I would drive to I'd actually drive my car onto the ferry to Seattle, park it. I don't know why, but I think just because I was happy that I could drive a car and then I would ride the bus. And that was um, probably my first time ever riding the bus. And then I went to Ohio and I lived in a school that was in the middle of a cornfield. So the only way to get anywhere was to get on a non-public transportation bus by this guy named Wilbur. It was a bright green bus and that's how you could get everywhere. And you had to join his fan club to ride his bus. It was quite an ordeal. Um, so I'm glad to be back on the West Coast. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, let's jump right into the conversation. Um, policies and projects um, rarely take a straight line. Um, and there's a lot of, what are the common like kind of delays and roadblocks on all sides of creating policy um, from, you know, the staff side, Andrew, you and I live in the same world of like developing it so policymakers can pass it. And then from the council side, you know, what are some of the things, and I guess from for you, Laura, from the advocacy side, I know people get really frustrated when they're trying to get things passed and all the roadblocks that they hit on that side. So I kind of just want to talk about from all angles, um, you know, what are those roadblocks and, and what are some of the, the, the ways that policy is delayed. And um, I don't, who, I see you're unmuted, Keith, so I'm gonna call on you first. <laughs> cool, so so I'll, I'll always start with, uh, is, it, is it legal and can we afford it, right? So you kind of got to work in with the, within those parameters and from um, the council and, and staff or policymakers and staff side, like we're, you know, 
we're, we're aware of that. And I think where the challenge, challenge comes is when community members um, don't quite understand you know, budgetary constraints or they question why we spend money here or why we spend money there. And, and really it's, it's personnel. You know, when we look at, at our budgets, we're paying people to do work. And that's where the budget, the budget increases come. So when we look at creating policy, you know, we'll always start with, you know, can we afford this? How much is it going to cost? Um, who, who are the winners? Who are the losers? You know, when people want to know, like, you know, why don't we just spend money here? Well, when we spend money in one place, that means more than likely we're taking money from another place. So mm -hmm. those are the those are the challenges, and it's and we're constantly thinking about um, the budgets from the, from those standpoints. And then the other part is, can is it legal, right? And I would say the the, the third part is, is there the political will to do it? So when when policy when advocates are are engaging policymakers, um, my suggestion is to start with is is what we're advocating for in alignment with um, anything that the city or the county is already talking about doing, and then you try to uh, you know align yourself with what is already written, and and then and then my last point would be try to be as specific as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, when we say broad things like we want to, you know, address homelessness, or you know, we want more affordable housing. Those are really big issues that oftentimes um, have some very specific details that we that we must address before we can get to the big issues. Absolutely, um, Councilman Riang, you want to add to that? I don't know. Is it different at the county? <laughs> Uh, it's it's similar in many respects. The, the uh, a main difference is just our structure of government. Um, we have an elected executive, um, with, while the city has a city manager that uh, works for the council, and so our elected executive, you know, can have different opinions. So we we ended up with that we end up with that potential for different branch uh, conflict, um, depending on what the issue is. The, you know, the thing I would add that a lot of people just don't realize. Um, is because we have a, a neighbor to the north that seems like they, they have unlimited resources, uh, we can look at our system uh, and be, you know, kind of jealous, frankly, because it's like our system we know doesn't have enough hours, um, you, you know, enough frequency, enough um, service. And so, but there's a reason for that. And it's the budget constraints that, that, that Deputy Mayor Blocker was talking about is, you know, for every we've almost entirely localized our transit funding in Washington state, which is a horrific way to, uh, an unjust way to, to distribute those vital services. Uh, so for each uh, one-tenth of 1% 1 sales tax that we levy in Pierce County, we can only raise about 60 cents of what King County can. So equal to equal, it's 60% of what they get. And then on top of that, they've been able to levy the full, um, nine tenths of a percent uh, authorized under state law. We've had a couple measures narrowly fail and only have six tenths. So when people are surprised why we can't do certain things um, mm -hmm. or, or if there's resistance on what we can afford, that's the bulk of the reason behind it. Yeah, I always imagine what it would be like to be a, a King County council member because I picture like somebody saying, oh, I need X amount of dollars for you know, a new rep, bus rapid transit project and they just reach under their desk and they have like a briefcase full of cash and, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, 
Whereas we have to be really strategic and thoughtful because balancing both, like if we just based it entirely on what gets the most use, like we'd probably only have route one and maybe, I don't know, one other, uh, but we do have to distribute it somewhat around the system to make sure everyone who has a need can get access to transit. So that, that balancing act is tough. Yeah. I'm Andrew, as someone who's inside of transportation, trying to get things passed and trying to get things done, you know, how's that, how's that look for you? Yeah, I really think about this question. Um, in, I mean, I think council member blocker talked a lot about the what, and then I think about it from the context of the who. So I think whether it's in transportation or any other issue, if you want to move government, um, whether it's like a pretty seismic shift or a very small change, you really have to have the right coalition um, to do that. And the way I think about that, having sat at two of these seats is the outside advocates, the insider bureaucrats and the elected officials. And if you're missing any pieces of that triangle, it's going to be really hard to affect change. If an elected official tries to do something without the support of the community and the advocates, they're often going to be um, hung out to dry a little bit. If the advocates don't have a champion and an elected official, it's going to hard going to be really hard to get traction on whatever the governing body is. Um, and then probably the one that's forgotten the most, at least from the community and advocacy side, is city councils and transit boards and and whomever can pass whatever they want, but you have to have some buy-in from. Um, internal staff to implement it. And I think that piece is equally as important. So figuring out that coalition between each of those corners of the triangle is really important to, to, to change stuff small or big. Um, and then of course the, like the, the fourth hidden piece of that is the, the funders individual and institutional that allow the advocacy groups to exist to help um, organize the community's voice. And that's a really important one too. Yeah, I think that's really important. And uh, thanks for you know talking about the the staff aspect of that because a lot of people don't realize how much assets they have in the in the staff that are working on the projects. They they can tell you just like oh change that word and you'll get three council members. But if you use that word, you're gonna lose two. You know what I mean? And and it's and sometimes it's just about how you frame a project because for the most part, I mean in my work in social services um, before I came to the city whether you're R's or D's or whatever, people will agree on, we want to get more people jobs. They'll disagree on maybe how to do that or how that you work that. But so just the nuance of language and how you talk about that all feeds into whether things get passed or not passed or invested in or not invested in. And uh, Laura, from the outside advocate point of view, like how do they, how do, how do you, I think that's where there's the biggest, as a, as a communications director, that's where the biggest chasm is, right? People feel like, those systems aren't working for them or that they're not getting the information or that the system's actively working against them, which is rarely the case. And so from someone who works with, you know, with, with the community trying to advocate for things, what do you see as the barriers? Yeah, I think one of the things that, that comes up most often is, is folks thinking that nothing is happening. You know, they've, they've put together an idea, they've gotten folks to go advocate a council, um, you know, we're being loud, putting together a plan, and then it seems like things pause. Um, and I think, you know, maybe it's human nature to want things to both be fast, but also to be exciting um, and, and kind of always having that forward momentum that's really obvious and, and sometimes even dramatic. You know, we we want that to be the case. Um, 
but a lot of the times the important conversations um, are happening, you know, not at city council meetings, but at study session meetings or at um, different committee meetings or advisory groups, you know. Um, so I think there's um, a gap between what most people see as how our local government functions and how it actually happens, where the actual conversations, decisions, arguments are taking place. Um, and it makes it it makes it feel frustrating um, because it feels like nothing is progressing forward. Um, and it kind of takes away uh, an opportunity of doing a little bit more of direct advocating um, because if you go to some of these um, board of commissioners meetings for things like Pierce Transit, you know, whenever I go, um, maybe there's one or two people that give public comment. So that's a situation where um, if you go to this more specific meeting, your voice can have so much more power and impact um, because you are the one voice that's happening rather than, you know, uh, 15 people talking about six different topics um, all over the space of a, of a council meeting that is covering, you know, 10 other different things over the course of it. Um, so I think a, a, a really big part of it is trying to figure out where the best place to take your message to is. Um, and I think that's kind of where we get um, the role of the more organizational advocates, um, nonprofit groups like Downtown On The Go, because we do, um, we have more experience navigating these systems and we have more existing um, connections within the systems to be able to get to the right person quickly. Um, but what we can't do is we can't, you know, we don't have the lived experiences and we don't have the stories. So um, I think that that coalition building um, that Andrew is mentioning is a huge part of it, of you know, getting all these stories aggregated together and um, figuring out who knows who and, and really working cooperatively um, to get past some of these frustrations. Yeah, that's great. Um, so policy and project adoption and implementation require a lot of collaborations. And Andrew kind of alluded to this, like there's the external, the internal, and, and then the community and, all, and how all those things work together. Um, how does this affect policies and projects for better or for worse? Um, and and how, how is it for um, advocates who have to engage across multiple um, jurisdictions? And um, let's start with Andrew on this one. I think um, this kind of ties into what Laura was just saying. I think it's uh, sometimes confusing to understand like wh which government bodies are really in um, a position of power so I think helping um, folks who want to engage on those issues and downtown on the go definitely does this as do other groups like navigate that that decision making process, especially on regional issues is um, really important. I think um, the other thing is that a lot of this work oftentimes happens like a lot of the thinking goes into whatever a public process is before you get it to the public. Um, and that is oftentimes done by staff with some key external stakeholder input. Um, but that's just kind of one of the realities of like, you have to take something out to show people and have them react to it. Uh, and that's one of the challenges I think we have in government is like finding that balance between when to go public. It needs to be sort of baked, um, but not so baked that you're not able to receive valuable impact. And I think a lot of times government is um, guilty or has been guilty in the past of like taking something and they're like taking something out and saying any tweaks you want to see and and trying to um, 
retool that timing process is something I think we're all working on and is really important. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes we're, we're guilty of not explaining what tweaks we can make and we can't make. And so then people feel like it is already baked when really it's just that we built it based on the parameters that we actually know. And then we're asking for input and sometimes that back and forth just doesn't doesn't happen in a, in a great. Yeah, and that happens with transit all the time. I think especially because it's like, we, we're doing this project. We want your feedback. And people are like, well, we want we want service over here. And it's like, well, that's not in the, we can't do that as part of this feedback opportunity and scope, but engage us when we do our long range planning in two years from now, you know, it's hard. For the houses we'll build 40 years from now (laughs) on the city side of things. Um, So um, council member Young. I, you know, I, I think, I really do think that the, the first thing is is engaging in a group or an organization, whatever, whichever one it is, um, because you, you multiply your power bigger than the sum of your parts when you do that. You know, you're more effective as advocates. It's easier for me because, you know, just in my district, I have like 150,000 people uh, and we represent a county of over 900,000. So it's hard for me to give the level of attention to each individual person uh, that I, you know, I think they deserve. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, if, if downtown on the go or transportation choices comes to me, I know they represent a group of uh, folks who are like-minded, uh, you know, at least in some sense with some diversity, obviously. Um, and, and I can, I can act accordingly and, and get more information. The other thing I would say is that um, you, you, you do need to start before the, the the process begins, as Andrew said, because once that staff work has um, that staff recommendation has come, we can work off of a staff recommendation, but it's really hard to completely like change course. So, uh, you know, I I won't name the project, but there's a transportation project in Pierce County that I loathe with the you know just absolute blinding light passion, but because it's so baked in and it's we're, you know, to use a poker term, we're pot committed on it. It's, it's really hard to reverse course at that point. No, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, Deputy Mayor Blocker. Yeah, I think it, it can be very confusing when, you know, dealing with multiple agencies. Um, it, and to Derek's point about, um, you know, certain community organizations have a, have a good understanding of, um, the different levels of you know of government. So if if I'm just a regular you know you know community member not associated with any particular advocacy group, it might be helpful to figure out or try to figure out like who's already talking about this issue. Um, you know, none of these problems are new problems, and a lot of times we 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 hear from people who you know they're they're now noticing something. And it's something that people have already been advocating for, or it's something that you know elected officials or staff is already, you know, re- really aware of. So you know, so there's usually always some kind of progress or motion on a particular issue, and it's just really important for people to try to align themselves with with groups or advocacy groups that are already talking about that issue. Um, try to get more information. Um, always tell people, you know start with questions as opposed to assumptions. I mean, I've even seen this with with newly elected 
officials, right? They come in and they're like, why are we doing this? And it's like, well, we've, we've, we've already been working on that, right? Um, so it's, it's really important to kind of get a, a, a better understanding of the lay of the land, try to figure out who's already upset about this particular issue and try to align yourself with the work that's already being done. Yeah, I think the other part of that is that one of the best things about Pierce County is that how diverse Pierce County is from rural to urban to <laughs> demographically, age, you know, military. I mean, you've got all of that which also makes that really hard to come to like an, a compromise that everybody's going to agree on. And so I tell people like, if you get 65% of what you want, you should go throw yourself a party. Like that is a good day, you know? And I, I don't think people recognize that. Like they're so passionate about the things they're passionate about and they should be. But I've yet to see in my six years at the city and today's my anniversary, six years at the city. Um, but um you know, in, in my time at the city, I've yet to see one issue where everybody's on the same page about it. And for every person I can see who's like adamantly for it, there is another person who is adamantly against it. And they feel like their reasons are just as valid as the person who is for it. And so um, I think that's one of the interesting things, you know, when you live in the nonprofit world, um, everyone who comes to you is pretty much aligned with you and in alignment with what you believe. But in, when you're in city government, we, we don't get to pick and choose who we represent and who we support. And that makes it really hard sometimes to come to satisfactory answers. And so, especially in COVID, I've just, we started a little mantra in our team, like we're just gonna have to be satisfied with the least dissatisfying option. Like <laughs> that, That's what we're gonna have to be satisfied with. So, um, Laura. From from working with advocates, what what do you see as kind of their their issues or their struggles with dealing with this kind of push pull that happens in policy making and having to move between different jurisdictions and you got a yes from Tacoma but then you got a maybe from the county council and an absolute no from another city council for some of the bigger projects. Yeah. So. One thing that comes to mind is a, a project that we worked on last year um, with getting a connecting sidewalk to the Pierce County Annex building. Um, so that building is where the election center is hosted and, and specifically where the accessible voting stations are located. Um, and for a very long time, there was not a, a safe and accessible sidewalk that connected the um, nearby-ish bus stops to um, to the election center building. And this had been something that people had been complaining about for a long time and asking it to get resolved. Um, and it, you know, really nothing was happening for years and years and years until all of a sudden it all got finished in one year. And so when we look at that, um, it becomes an issue of like, who do I talk to and who is responsible for this? Um, if you're, you know, the bus rider who's trying to say, well, I need an accessible sidewalk to, to be able to exercise my right to vote, um, then you might think first, well, I can go talk to Pierce Transit and maybe they know about this connection. But then you learn that actually they only have control over the bus stop. So then you think, well, I, I'm in Tacoma, so I'll talk to the city of Tacoma about getting the sidewalk. Um, but then it turns out that because this is um, connected to a county building, it's actually partially the county's responsibility. And so then it kind of comes to light as to why this issue wasn't resolved for so long, because you have the city and the county and nobody wants to be the one to say, OK, let's spend that money. Um, and it's it's not just spending the money, but it's also coordinating um, on when is it going to happen? 
who's going to do the actual coordinating, who's going to make it, you know, <laughs> get uh, the construction scheduled. Um, so you have, it, it's not even necessarily fighting between the city and the county. It's just nobody wanting to have to take that on. Um, and ultimately, what happened was um, the group Rooted in Rights did a um, like video storytelling um, campaign. So they recorded um, a man named uh, Blake Guyon, who lives in University Place, um, traveling to um, the election center and how he had to, uh, with his motorized wheelchair, travel in the roadway um, and how unsafe of a situation this was for him. Um, and that went kind of locally viral. And that finally got the attention of some city elected officials, some county elected officials, enough to get those like champions to push through the, um, the I don't want to take responsibility for this aspect of this like multi-jurisdictional problem. Um, and I think that really, um, it speaks to the power of, um, of storytelling, of, of actual lived experiences um, to get people um, on your side and, and connected with what you're talking about. Um, and it, it speaks to uh, how important it is to find the right people and to stay on top of something, even if it feels like it's not taking a while. If it's important and you care about it, you know, if you keep pushing, eventually you'll find the right person. Yeah, I think that's great. So we're, we're going to head into our last question, but I want to invite the audience to start submitting their questions now. So um, if you push the Q&A button and um, submit your questions there, we're going to get to your questions in a, in a couple of minutes when we get through this next question. This next question is a big one. Um, I spent about a third of my job on it. Um, and and um, when it comes to advocacy and just engagement in general, um, there are some in inherent issues around representation. Often the people most affected by the policy decisions are not in the rooms um, where those decisions are made, while the status quo remains overly represented. Um, why does this continue to be such a hard problem to solve? And what are the ways that policymakers and advocates can address it head on? Um, and uh, Laura, I'm gonna have you go first this time. Sure. Um, I mean, I'll let the government folks uh, focus on the that side of this issue, but um, I'll take a moment to kind of pick on the nonprofit sector um, as a nonprofit person. I um, mean, I'll pick on downtown and the go specifically, you know, we're a group of people who care really passionately about transportation and mobility. We are transit users, um, but none of us are dependent on transit. We all also have cars. Um, and when when you look at us and when you look at a lot of other nonprofits, it's kind of a, a bit of a stereotype, I think. You know, we're a staff of four well-meaning white women. Um, and that, you know, that doesn't mean that we care less, but what it, it does mean is that we need to do this work of, of making sure that we're actually hearing all of the voices um, and all of the stories that are out there in Tacoma about mobility. Um, because, you know, with, with the way that our world kind of works, you know, we're, we're exist in our bubbles. Um, and being like a, a white nonprofit entity that, you know, we can't go into a community and expect folks to just automatically trust us and, and like believe that we're on their side and, and all that. So, you know, the, the nonprofits, the, the advocacy groups need to continue to, to challenge and grow and reflect and accept criticism about how we're doing our outreach. Um, and I think um, an example of it done really well is the um, Step It Up Pierce County group um, that does a lot of work with like community ambassadors. 
um, where they're asking um, low-income communities and communities of color to to kind of self-advocate about what you know what they care about, what they're interested in, and what um, Step It Up does is they kind of provide some framing and some resources and and amplification of stories. Um, but they're not going in and trying to say, I think you probably have an issue with no bus lanes here that you should be upset about. Um, they're actually listening to people's stories and needs and wants. Um, yeah, so there's there's definitely a lot of growth that needs to take place in the nonprofit side of things as well. It's not just it's not just the government side. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> um, uh, let's go with. Uh... Deputy Mayor Blocker. Yeah, I, that's a that's a great question, and it's it's so, I mean, it's so hard to address. Um, one first, you got to have, you know, the will of of you know government to recognize that they are maintaining the status quo, and then on on, on the outside, when it comes to community advocates, um, you know, we got to be thinking about the long game. And, and like this instant, you know, we want to change right now. Uh, expectation is, is um, I've never seen it. And yet we still expect it, you know, as, as community members. And then, you know, thinking about something that, you know, Tanisha brought up, like we live in a world of compromise. And, and I would say over the past, you know, five plus years or so, the word compromise has become like a nasty word when it comes to um, community advocates or, you know, social justice, social justice warriors, you know, the idea of compromise has become a, a bad thing. So even when you get um, individuals like myself or Tanisha, who, you know, come from, you know, historically underrepresented communities, once we cross that line of of being amongst the status quo, um, we lose a little bit of credibility, right? And, and and that's frustrating for you know for community members. It's frustrating for for us, and it still remains this disconnect with like community groups and and, and government. So I I don't know if there's an answer to that. You know, just. By being in our roles, we we lose a little bit of, of of trust, and 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 community groups, you know, work hard to get people in the right seat in the right position. But the reality is, it's the system, not so much individuals that that hold up things. Um, you could have, you know, you know, everybody could be on board about wanting to make changes around racial justice, right? Um, everybody could be on board with, you know, wanting to make change about environmental justice. And you still have the system at play in terms of policies, procedures. Um, and then, you know, even when we're all on the same page, we're on different paragraphs, right? So you have that. It's like, how do you, like, trying to get individuals in alignment to move institutions um, is challenging. And it's the last thing I say, I always say, <laughs> When we think about institutions or cultures, right? We're talking about shifting cultures. Um, you know, we all start. You know, you know, most of us start off with our mom and our dad, if we're lucky, right? Or somebody in a house, a, a guardian, and then you go to grandmom's house, right? 
and grandma has a whole nother system, a whole nother institution, and grandma won't buy the new fancy microwave because she loves her toaster. All right. <laughs> and just think about how hard it is to get grandma to shift on anything. And when we come into institutions, we kind of expect, you know, us to change cultures or one person to come in and change the whole dynamic of the institution. And generally speaking, it's not realistic. So those are some of the challenges that, that I see in terms of, you know, moving any government or any institution or any nonprofit, like it's just really hard from all those standpoints. Yeah, I think that's that's really important stuff. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna move to you, Andrew. Yeah, I think just on the engagement side, you know, the kind of old ways government used to do it of just, hey, we're we're doing a street project or we're doing a um, trans bus master plan or whatever it is, uh, and it and it's like, hey, we're gonna be somewhere in the community, show up at four o'clock, tell us what you think, uh, and then they you know, hold the event and they're like, oh, how come the people not riding the buses or riding the buses didn't come? Or how come the people who use the street didn't come? It's like, well, they're busy because they have lives and kids and jobs and they couldn't make it to your four o'clock event, nor did they want to come, right? So I think that way of doing things, we're slowly shifting away from um, and, and getting more creative with and we just have to like lean into that more. I think that to, to Councilmember Blocker's point, like one of the negative things that's come from this remote COVID environment is that um, folks, like government is a little bit dehumanized or depersonalized, like advocates and elected officials and staff are all just like boxes of a different viewpoint. And there's none of those like constructive creative conversations that happen in the hallway. And I think that's been really unfortunate. I think on the flip side, it's been actually good. There's been some good lessons for how to do public engagement better. Um, our our team's in the middle of a big draft environmental impact statement for a project right now, and we just had our you know first big public hearing that was all virtual. And I and I think it was a lot more accessible than than trying to ask people to show up somewhere very specific at a very specific time. Um, anyone could do it from wherever they are. So I think that that side of a positive piece for engagement and, and pieces we can take from this virtual world probably isn't going to go away after COVID. And that's a good thing because we need to make it more accessible. I, I totally agree. Um, I, I've told council this, like in moderating the meetings um, for the city and just setting them up, we've had people attend and be a part of meetings that would never be able to. We had a, a, a woman who wanted to testify at a, a, a police advisory council meeting and was like, I'm so sorry, I'm feeding my two-year-old. If you could call in the next person, I'll, I'll be ready by the time you get back to me. And like that person wanted to be engaged, but in, in the way that we have done it traditionally, she would never get to, you, you can't cook dinner for a two-year-old in council chambers. So like, I think there are some really good lessons that we have learned from, from COVID. If we, you know, if we're gonna take things away from it, we've learned some really good things. But I also think, that when we have meetings, how we have meetings, what we decide to do at those meetings, tell people whether we want them there or not. Um, I was a, a young mother and the school had their PTA meetings at 2.30 on like a Wednesday. And then the principal's like, oh, Mrs. Jumper, you, we would love to have you at the PTA meeting. And I was like, no, you don't want me at the PTA meeting because at 3.30 on a Tuesday, 
I have to work. Like I have to work to take care of my kids. And like, it's a dumb time to have a meeting, you know, but, but for them, it's like, I lived in a, you know, very affluent neighborhood where everybody, all the other moms were stay-at-home moms. And so that worked for them, but they didn't think about who it didn't work for. And I think that's where the focus has been over the last year. Like who does, who isn't served by the way that we have done engagement and we've been okay with the fact that only the homeowners on the block come to the meeting. And now we're starting to be like, oh, but wait, Tacoma's more than 50% renters. So if only the homeowners on the block came to the meeting, we didn't talk to a whole lot of people. So um, with that, I'm going to pass it to uh, Councilmember Young. Uh, yeah, first, I'll just, I can't put any of that better than has already been said. That's all right. Um what a surprise that we have a country that hasn't treated young families very well when young families are almost always excluded from uh, the process. Uh, here's the thing I would I would add is to go back further because it's hard to persuade if we don't have elected officials that are persuadable. Um, and so, you know, like you, you have to go elect good people. Uh, you have to elect people that reflect the community we live in. Um, you know, I always tell the story that when, when I first started on the city council in Gig Harbor, I was like, not just the youngest, I was the youngest by four and a half decades. Um, like that's a big gap. And, and that next youngest person was, was considerably younger than the other members. So, um, you know, you can imagine that I had a different perspective and it wasn't just political. It was like, here is how the rest of us engage with the world. Um, and, you know, I'm getting to an age now where I'm starting to lose some of that. So we need, uh, you know, young men like Keith, you know, to keep me in check uh, because, uh, you know, even I'm starting to lose it. But the other thing is that uh, we also have to, I know local issues will seem like that's local government. That's who makes that call very often. And, uh, you know, any local effect, elected official will tell you this. They're frustrated by because they're beheld to laws that are set up at the state. So you also have to start at that state level. And because a law that's passed, it may even be opposed by our local representatives. But you have some dude from SELA that decides what our public transit system should look like. Uh, and then when they come to Keith and he says, I, I can't. Well, there's a reason for that. Uh, so. We basically have to get engaged in democracy before the election uh, to make sure that it's going to work for us afterwards. That, that is a perfect way to wrap up that. We, we've all got to get engaged in democracy at all levels of democracy, because even it doesn't stop at the state. The state can only do what the federal government will allow them to do at some point. And I mean, Washington's pretty good at suing the federal government, but I mean, that's not the way we want to get things done <laughs> in our state. So um, so I, we're going we're gonna to wrap up us talking to you, and we're going to start answering some of your questions. Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma, and a proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. Everything in our day-to-day -day life seems to involve more hassle these days, so it feels good that Alaska Airlines is making something easier. Alaska has made air travel virtually touch-free. Here's the rundown. When you check your bags at the airport, you won't have to touch the kiosk to print your bag tags. They'll print when you scan your boarding passes, or you can even print them from home. When you board your flight, they can scan your boarding pass from as much as six feet away. Now, the lawyers want me to say that this might not work if the lighting in the terminal is low or if the print quality of your boarding pass isn't great. 
but still, kudos to Alaska for trying to keep physical distancing at every point of the trip. And don't forget, you can pre-order your meal from your phone or from your computer. You can even put your card on file in case you decide mid-flight to splurge on a local wine or beer. Get your drink without pulling out your card. Now that's the perfect blend of convenience, safety, and temptation. Those are the thoughtful details that make me choose Alaska Airlines every time I fly domestically. When you're ready to travel, rest easy, because Alaska's got this. Skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for making travel smoother, and thank you for your support of Channel 253. So our first question is, how can community members um, support better, more um, just funding for transportation in Pierce County? Um, I don't know who wants to take that question. Um, Andrew, do you have an idea since you're in it? Uh, I mean, I, I have a lot of ideas, but I'll just share one. I think, um, you know, for better or worse, uh, and this goes back to what I was saying, of like the city can adopt policy or a government can adopt policy, but you need the implementers. And a lot of times what happens, especially with really tough kind of like transportation projects or street redesigns or complete streets project is you have a lofty idea and a good goal. And then once um, folks don't like like it because change is hard, it gets whittled down to like the lowest common denominator to um, make sure that it just happens. So I think for better or worse uh, to that question, folks really have to like get involved on the project by project um, discussions and, and debates in order to make sure that we as government are living up to the ideals that the policies like complete streets and vision zero um, and equitable transit access like that we're living up to those because you could you can build a really great complete streets project or you can build a pretty mediocre one and folks need to engage on that project level um, mm -hmm. for better or worse yeah. thank you um next question was um oh shoot i just erased the wrong question i'll go hold on one second I don't know what they do. I don't know where it went. Okay. Um, what is the city doing to monitor and maintain existing infrastructure assets? And um, when new projects get funded, get going, are funds for continued maintenance considered? Um, I think that one's for you, um, Council Member Blocker. Yeah. So say that again. Um, <laughs> um, when what is the city um, or other jurisdictions doing to monitor and maintain existing infrastructure assets? And when projects are getting funded, do we consider maintenance, ongoing maintenance of those projects? Um, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm trying to grasp the question in terms of how infrastructure is defined. I mean, we're just talking about street maintenance or, yeah. or roads, um, or are we talking about, you know, city buildings and things like that. But when it comes to like street maintenance and roads, I mean, we keep really good track of um, what's good, what's bad. I think we even have like a, a decent grading grading system to, to outline, you know, every aspect of the city. And then with with us doing a great deal of work of investing in, in, in road and street maintenance, uh, we're doing a really good job of tracking that. Mm -hmm. and, and we're, you know, we're looking at it from an equitable standpoint. We want to make sure that, you know, 
just we're not just fixing all the streets in the north end you know mm -hmm. we're, we're really we're really making sure that each council district is getting um getting his needs met um so we could you know one i mean that was voted by the public right so we want to make sure that is an equitable distribution of of that street making service yeah i think and if you listen to the last study session we talked a lot about um you know, funding and being thinking about future needs for funding. So um, I don't know that we've always been great at it. Again, you know, been there six years and this has been going on for a long time, but mm -hmm. I think that we're being much more intentional about projecting like, okay, if we build this bridge, what's the maintenance, a long time maintenance for that bridge and can we afford to support it throughout its lifetime versus just we'll get the bridge up and figure that part out later. And so I, I, I do think that we're, we're getting better at that, but probably still could be better. Um, Councilmember Young, um, do you have anything to add for the county, from the county perspective on that? Um, only that it's a little different because we have like a special set aside uh, road fund that, you, you know, that's guaranteed revenue from property taxes. And, and uh, so that makes budgeting a little bit different. So I will say that, um, you know, like Tacoma, when it's hit some downturns because it pays for roads out of its, you know, general fund receipts, um, that's been something that's gone by the wayside traditionally. And, and that's because they're trying to fix a, uh, you know, a ton of budget damage, but, um, it, so it works a little different for the County. And I think we've benefited from that, but, um, you know, I got bridges that are a stiff breeze is going to knock them down. So, you know, it's, I can't say that we're, we're perfect, but. Um, so the next question is, to what extent do folks from um, these various groups get together to share ideas or serve as thought partners for each other? Um, I can answer that on the advocate side. Um, so there's a couple of, of Pierce County specific groups um, where folks who are interested in like transportation, land use, trails, um, things like that get together. There's, there's two um, that meet monthly. Um, and those uh, over the last couple of years have proven to be a really helpful space for sharing of ideas, sharing of resources and information, um, as well as, as sharing about new projects that people are trying to champion um, so that we can work together to um, you know, put more pressure and have more voices and, and help things to happen. But we're in a situation right now where those groups are, um, they're funded by outside sources. So the groups that run these meetings um, and they're losing those funding sources. Um, so right now there's this big conversation in the, the transportation advocacy community of Pierce County about how are we going to maintain these connections so that we can continue um, lifting each other up and sharing this information. Um, and it kind of shows how, how precarious um, this can be sometimes when we depend on either funding from um, certain large foundations that fund a lot of different things in the region um, or from uh, corporate sponsors that fund things. And, you know, what do we do when that funding goes away? Because um, that's going to have a big impact on, on funding for advocacy work in Pierce County over the next two years. Mm. Uh, Deputy Bear or Councilmember Young or um, Andrew, you guys want to talk about from the city. I know we spend a lot of time in a lot of meetings together. Um, and I don't think people have any idea how much time in meetings we spend together. So do one of you want to speak to that? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to like community engagement, 
I mean, you, we could argue that there's never enough, but when we make, you know, big decisions, um, sometimes even small decisions, I think about like the, the, the Tiki home tragedy, Tiki apartment tragedy. Um, we like, you know, that incident happened. We had a special council meeting. I mean, that was like the perfect storm of, of witnessing community, like take action on something like in, in real time. And, and the council jumped right on board, but we recognized that, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, we wanted to solve an issue in terms of um, not having people evicted. And, but we recognized we needed to engage landlords, right? So we, we reached out to, to all the different stakeholders um, in terms of who might be impacted by legislation and we came up with, with with compromises. We wanted to make sure that that it wasn't going to have you know terribly negative impacts on landlords, but also address the issue of making sure that people couldn't be kicked out of their of their homes at a moment's notice. So that's one example of you know the political will was there. Um, we weren't violating any any state laws, and it wasn't. Uh, you know, any major budgetary constraints. And, and through those actions, the, the state ended up adopting many of the laws that the city of Tacoma passed. And, and that came from, you know, community advocates who, who really pushed for us to take um, swift action on that issue. And we were able to do it in a really fast, fast manner. Yeah, um, there's also things like um, the Joint Municipal Action Committee and some other groups like that, that um, where, the county, the city, Metro Parks, Sound Transit, Pierce Transit, we're sitting in rooms together um, trying to, to problem solve and trying to figure out where is the, where's the lane that we can all agree on so we can move some things forward. Um, do, do any of you want to talk about some of that coordination that we have to do behind the scenes to, to move policy and projects forward? Uh, I guess I'll just add that you, you, there's a couple different layers of, of intercooperation between our, our agencies. Um, there's the really formal process where we have regional governments. So we have Pierce County Regional Council. Uh, you know, we have we have multi-jurisdiction agencies like Keith and I are on the health department board together. Um, Pierce Transit itself is actually a multi-jurisdictional agency. Uh, so there's a lot of court, direct coordination there. Then we have Puget Sound Regional Council for that big 50,000 foot view. But I would also say that there's a lot of informal work, especially at the staff level. You know, the electeds aren't always talking, but the staff do quite a bit. And so they're making sure that our projects don't like either conflict or that if there's mutual priorities that they're getting to those. So, you know, I would say that there's probably more than people realize, um, but at the same time, um, we, we can still do better there, I think. I agree. Um, I think we can get in two more questions. And um, so one is, what does transit mobility look like in rural Pierce County? So that's probably for me. Um, and uh, I will say um, transit is basically non-existent in the rural areas. And it depends on your definition of rural. Um, you know, we have some kind of exurban uh, cities like my own. Um, I'm sort of at the north uh, extent of the uh, of Pierce Transit's bus uh, service, uh, but a lot of in East Pierce, a lot of them were completely cut out. Most of this happened back um, 
gosh, it's been about 10 years now. Um, it was d- during the Great Recession that um, service cuts were steep. I mean, that because it's reliant on sales tax revenue, when sales tax plummeted, uh, Pierce Transit really got hurt. And so they basically decided that we're going to make these steep cuts to t- try to protect the system while we go out to the ballot to ask for more money. Um, and um, that didn't work. And so some more rural and suburban uh, jurisdictions, including the county, uh, decided we want out, uh, basically, if we're not going to get more service. And so the county council made a decision to pull out the bulk of the uh, basically all the rural areas and then um, and then some of the urban unincorporated area even um, a little bit of that was pulled back. Uh, and so we were able to protect like, you know, that Parkland Spanaway area that was mostly going to come out. Um, but, uh, the, you know, it was their decision. Um, unfortunately that also makes it really hard to put back because you'd have to go out to voters again and say, Hey, do you want to rejoin? And here's a big tax increase with it. And, um, those areas, you know, because transit hadn't worked well there previously, um, just because it's not as dense and, you know, so the services are difficult. They hadn't really supported transit in the past. And so there was, there was this sort of, self-reinforcing vicious cycle where, uh, you know, you almost ensured that the areas, they were mad because they didn't get good service. And so they didn't get good service because they were mad. Um, and that's, that's really self-defeating. So, uh, that said, we do have some kind of mobility stuff in the, in the rural areas. Uh, we are building out a network of, of improved trails, which is great. Um, and then one thing that we are doing as a County, we don't have the resources to do, um, you know, sidewalks, curbs, gutters, and, uh, you know, bike lanes in, in the rural areas, but we are trying to do more improved shoulders, meaning that it at least gives some basic, uh, like a place for pedestrians to be, um, that's better than, you know, being in the road. It's not Mm -hmm. everywhere. It's, and it's a slow progress, uh, process, but we're trying. Yeah. Well, I think we are right at time. And um, I don't know if Laura, if you want to say anything else, but I will say thank you to all our panelists. This was a great conversation. As always, we could have used it probably another half hour so we could get through all the questions. There are some really great questions in the chat that I didn't get to. And so hopefully uh, Laura and I can figure a way to get people answers to these questions because there are some really, really good questions that I would love to talk about the equity and how we were talking about health equity and and making transportation routes and some other stuff that was in there. So thank you everyone for um, joining us today. Thank you for, um, you know, continuing to support Friday forums. Um, I hopefully I will be back with you again um, next year and um, make sure that you watch the recording on uh, channel 253 also um, will be showing airing this on TV Tacoma channel 12. Um, and so you, if you didn't catch it or if you want to share it with your friends and talk about it some more, um, please uh, watch us there too. So with that, I'm going to pass it to Laura and signing off. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Tanisha. Um, we, we so, so appreciate you moderating these conversations for us every year. Um, you're just amazing and we are so appreciative. Um, and thank you so much to all of our panelists today. Um, and I want to say thank you to, uh, downtown on the goes, um, events coordinator, Emily Nakata Alm, who does, um, all the behind the scenes work on these, um, and really pulls them together. Um, we never get to see her face, but she is amazing. So thank you, Emily. 
Um, and thank you to everyone who attended, whether this was your first forum of the year or uh, you attended all of them, we're so glad that you took the time to engage in these conversations with us. Um, Keep an eye out for an upcoming episode of Crossing Division, a podcast by Evelyn Lopez, uh, which will be titled, Why Is It So Hard to Achieve Change? Um, where Evelyn will talk with uh, Joe Lopez to kind of continue on this conversation we've had today. Um, we'll post a recording of this on uh, to the Downtown on the Go Facebook. Um, and keep an eye out in your inboxes for um, a survey to attendees um, about this year's Friday forums, um, things you liked, things we could change, and ideas that you have for next year's series. Um, I'm going to end it there, but um, thank you so much, everybody, um, for taking the time. We really appreciate it, and have a good rest of your afternoon. All right, bye, everybody. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.